Triple R 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, a very, very good afternoon. Welcome to the afternoon here on 3 Triple R FM. How you doing? What you doing? How's your Sunday going, people out there? Big thanks. Of course, to uh, those that have preceded us on this august radio airwaves. Um, Kent coming forth. Good to hear him on uh, on radiotherapy and also Einstein and Gogo. But we're in the glorious now. We're being like Buddhists here on 3AAA, living in the, mm, the present. And uh, presently in front of me, I look across and there he is, Jed McCartney. Hey, Cam, how are you? I'm good, mate. Um, we should just say the, the, the reason why Jed's here is that you are ably um, putting in while um, Matt Steadman has been gallivanting. I, I would say gallivanting. gallivanting. I, I saw a tweet from him this week. Yeah. Uh, he's in Vegas and he was tweeting about uh, Bloody Marys yes. with sliders on top. Oh, all the food groups. Yes. <laughs> So that's gallivanting in my book. He might yeah. call it uh, some sort of work conference or whatever, but um, yeah. no. Nah. Uh, just to give you a little bit of context, uh, Matt Steadman and his uh, normal nine-to-five job works at um, another radio station, Choice. That's probably the thing. And uh, apparently it's when all the kids get together to look at the kids' toys because this is where they look at broadcasting uh. equipment from around the world. So, yeah, he's at a conference, but... Jed, it's been awesome having you pinch hit. It's been my pleasure. It's been great fun. Um, 12.04 here on the afternoon, Triple R. Great to have you aboard. I don't know what you're doing, but uh, we've got an hour of of some things. We, we're sort of, uh, we're doing, taking a leaf out of Bigsy's book uh, a little bit this Sunday. We're on the blower a bit. We are. Aren't we? Um, the first thing we're going to be doing is uh, we're going to be going to the Queen Victoria Market where we speak to Lino Latavolo. Latavolo. Um, and Lino is, um, if you've ever been to the South Melbourne Market, there's a place in the South Melbourne Market that says they have the best paella in the world. And uh, Lino won the prize. And so there's a very, very big competition happening. Well, it's a, I don't know, it's a, Paella Festival, shall we, we call it? It never ceases to amaze me. You know, a couple of weeks ago we talked uh, about, you know, the the top 50 restaurant awards being in Melbourne. Yes, the great and the good coming, yep. yes. And now we've got someone in South Melbourne Market who's producing the best paella in the world. It's kind of crazy, isn't it? Yeah, we're very lucky. But it's also, it's, it's an example of Australia punching above our weight. Yes. Maybe. And Melbourne. And Melbourne. Uh, but uh, controversial pronunciations. Uh, I don't know if as a, as a kid we used to all have uh, paella. That's it. <laughs> Mum, this paella's good. Uh, and it would be a Vesta situation. I don't know if anybody remembers Vesta <laughs> meals. But, um, uh, and, then, and then we grew up, or we thought we did, and it was uh, paella. You said the pay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, 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 like you're hesitating, um, but apparently I think Lino might come through with uh, with an O and saying I think it might be paicha, paicha. I don't know where those CHs came from, but but uh, uh, and also the fact that uh, chorizo in a paicha or whatever you want to call this thing, anathema. 
Thou shalt not. Apparently, well, in a traditional thing. But anyway, we'll talk about traditional, um, the traditional rice dish, shall we call it? It's probably easier, isn't it? Uh, to how it's evolved and uh, and how you can get involved if you want to go to the Queen Victoria market today. And then we have uh, a market report and uh, we have Joanne Toscano from that awesome fruit and veg family, the Toscanos. And uh, she's going to tell us about what's going on with fruit and veg, whether she's had mushrooms, done that risotto yet, um, and perhaps maybe we can get some idea about what price is going to do post-Cyclone Debbie. Yeah. Might be a good idea. Um, Miro Bellini. There he is. See? <laughs> he's there. Standing to attention he's, out in the uh, green room. <laughs> he's caffeinated. He's happy. I don't know if he had the croissant across the road at Milkwood, uh, but we're going to be talking about the very great joy it is uh, to have Good Beer Week, which um, happens next month. So it's kind of going to be a fun show. It should be. And a little bit of music. And um, and I think we've got a giveaway to the Kellybrook Cider Festival 2017, which is taking place on Sunday, the 7th of May, and Saturday, 6th of May. Don't call now. We'll do that later. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> oh, no one has. It's okay. We can we can just chill out. Now, oh, I have to, oh, um, an indulgence. Would you allow me to do a little indulgence? <laughs> I don't have to allow you. It's your show. You oh, can okay. do what you like. Oh, well, it's, it's kind of nice to just ask anyway. All right. Um, here's an indulgence, folks. Um, I've got a little blue car. Um, this little blue car only has two doors. Uh, neither of those two doors would open for me this morning. Um, and, uh, and the roof wasn't down waiting for you to leap no, in James Bond no, style. No, it was, it was securely on top and I'm just going, I can't get into my car. And I just want to say how much... How much I just love my neighbours because um, uh, one of my neighbours just said, take the van, it's cool, dude. Yeah. I'm going, what? And they went, take the van. So um, I was looking down the barrel of, I don't know, a taxi, which would have been a small fortune, uh, a bunch of trams. Yeah, an hour and a half probably on the trams. Thank you, Jason Leone, for being great neighbours. Now, um, if I said the word to you, okonomiyaki, I'll say it again, Jed. You look confused. I know. Okonomiyaki. I would have been very confused I, had you not said this to me just before the show. Yes. Well, it's it's obviously a Japanese word. Yes. And because it's a food show, we're dealing with uh, it's a food thing. Short story. As <coughs> I cough, excuse me. Sorry about that. I got all excited about it. I've added a dish to my repertoire this this last week. And okonomiyaki is something that you might see at its very worst. You'll see it at food courts in in bad shopping centres, and it's sort of that cabbagey, pancakey thing. Uh huh. Um, at, a, at its very best, it's. I, I try uh, to avoid those places. I know, I know, but it's it is like this Japanese um, cabbage pancake that is absolutely divine, and I'm, I managed to master it last week, and I was kind of pleased. This is significant because I imagine your food repertoire is fairly extensive already. It's not gigantic, but mm. I, I can do a couple things well. You know, I'm, it's like, and and this sort of brings me to Gabriel Gatte, and he Gabriel Gatte, great French chef, great author. He travels around the Tour, mm-hmm. tour de France. Tour de France. Him. There yeah. you go. There's there's a reference point for you. <laughs> but he says that. To get something into your your repertoire, 
You know, um, you really need to make a dish um, about three times, and then it starts to become your own. And it's mm-hmm. just a matter of getting that thing started. And I thought, look, I had some pra- the, the whole thing was I, I had some prawns in the freezer that were left over. I had like about six or seven of them. Mm-hmm. And I was in the supermarket and I saw some cabbage and I just thought, I'm going to make okonomiyaki. Um, because basically what it is is um, you chop up cabbage, um, you bind it with, um, with egg and then flour, but ideally you use a special flour. Uh, that has flavourings, and it also has yam starch in it, which makes it gives it this beautiful, um, soft sort of texture. Um, and um, and then the idea is that you cook this pancake; it's quite thick, and you you then sprinkle bonito flakes on the top of it, so that's umami overkill. <laughs> and then you put two sauces: okonomiyaki sauce, and I should say that okonomiyaki is a con- uh, Contraction of two words, or it's two words together. Yaki, which um, obviously means uh, to cook, and okonomo, which is means whatever you like. So it's it's quite this democratic dish. And it's one of these. Also, the history of this dish is kind of good because, it, it, like all, like some great dishes, it comes out of um, trying to work out how to feed yourself when there's when there's um, shortages of other things. And this became popular after, during and after World War II in Japan when rice became scarce. Oh. So they thought, well, look, let's um, get cabbage and we'll bind it with egg, this certain amount of flour, um, and then you serve it up and you put the okonomiyaki sauce, which um, you can make a facsimile of using tomato sauce, Worcester sauce and soy three tablespoons tomato, one tablespoon of Worcester sauce and one tablespoon of soy. And you might have seen it. You've not seen it. You've just the squiggly thing, the brown underneath, and then you put the Kewpie mayonnaise on the top, yep, and yep. the wavy thing, and then um, a bit of seaweed powder on there. Yep. I know <coughs> what you mean. Yeah. All I can say, folks, is um, if you want to check it out, go to Okonomiyaki World. Uh, that's probably a good place to start. And... Have a go at it because uh, even though you've got to get a couple of specialist ingredients, you've got to get the bonito flakes and it'd be good to get the sauces. Um, once that's in the cupboard, you're kind of set. And, um, yeah, it's it's kind of good. So okonomiyaki, it's a, it's a new thing and I guess it's one of those great things that it's like life. You know, we're, we're always learning about new things. We're always trying to get new things. Yeah. <laughs> It makes the world go round. We're going to learn a little bit about uh, the world of uh, paella. Paella? Paicha? I don't know. We're going to find out because uh, hopefully we're going to get Lino Lattavolo um, on the line from the QV market. Um, do you want me to do this um, live read, Jed, while you get, get him organised? Yes, please. All right, I'm going to do that. It is 12.13 here on 3RRFM. Do we say how delighted that you are that you've... Uh, that You've managed to join us. Well, I hope you're having a good day. Um, okay, we've got a live read here. It is Triple R's April After Dark series, and it's returning this week. A big week of live music from the performance... Oh, the performance space nightly from 10pm with 22 acts over seven consecutive nights from April 24th to 30th in celebration of April Amnesty. And we should probably mention that during the show, I think. So... 
Come along, catch Hood Pass, Leisure Link, The Golden Age of Piracy, Son of Crawdaddy, How High the Moon, Livewire and Teenage Hate all presenting their shows live from the Triple R Performance Space. That should be great. Our 10pm programs have each curated a cracking night of live music and are set to take you on a nocturnal excursion into the beating heart of our luminous local music scene. The Triple R... Oh, there we go. That's begging the question, and they've answered it already for me. The Triple R Bar will be up and running nightly thanks to Mountain Goat. It all kicks off Monday, April 24th. Check out the Triple R website for a full After Dark lineup and for more details on how subscribers can be part of the audience for these shows. It's all about 10pm, 22X. It's going to be awesome. It's 12.14 here on 3 Triple R FM. And you're looking at me because you've got someone lined up. We're not going to do a cut, are we, Jed? (laughs) Uh, 12.14, you know, it's like uh, there was a a song saying, you say potatoes and I say potatoes, you say tomatoes and I say tomatoes. Well, we're here to talk about Lino and I think maybe the first thing to talk about is uh, how do we say the word about this rice dish? And a very, very good afternoon to you, Lino. Well, thank you, thank you. Well, you say paella, and I say paella. Paella. Say that again. Paella. So there's a J in there somewhere. It's, uh, look, this is in South America and Spain have a slightly different twist on it. Yes. One will say more like a ya, and the other one says more like a ja. Ja. Paella. Yeah. Paella. Well, anyway, look, we've come a long way from uh, the Vesta meals that I had as a kid uh, where it was just paella. <laughs> and uh, and pretty much uh, an anathema, <laughs> we could say. But um, w- first of all, let's nail your colours on the mast. We we need to first of all congratulate you, Lino, um, for being a world champion maker oh, of you. rice. Thank you. Yeah, um, yeah I, the uh, the. Uh the competition was the, uh, the Concurso Internacional de Paella Valenciana, which translates as International Paella Contest, the Valenciana Paella Contest. Sounds awfully impressive the way you say it. It sounds a great idea with an accent, doesn't it? Shish! <laughs> God, I'm, I'm coming all a, all a quiver just, just hearing that. So where was that held? That was held in a little town called Sueca, just outside of Spain, uh, where it, uh, it is rumoured that that is the, uh, the heartland, the beginning, the soul of the, uh, the Paella. Okay, and, and maybe this is a good place to start. So it comes from the, the, the birthplace um, yes. of, of, yep. of the Bay, yes. And, and, and uh, essentially what it's all about is the, uh, the, the Valenciana, the Bay of Valenciana being the, uh, the original, the, the one that was originally made as a Bayda. Um, it's, it's the whole competition that we're conducting here today at the Queen Vic Market is in, in, in relation to that page and uh, maintaining its heritage uh, and its authenticity. So we, uh, all our competitors here today, or, or even when I competed in Spain, mm. uh, we all got the same ingredients. And it was all about maintaining that, uh, that authentic recipe and cooking the, the, the product the way it's meant to be and presented. Let's first of all talk about the geography. So we're talking about somewhere that's inland, not on the coast, yeah? It's uh, yeah, it's uh, it's about fifty k's from the coast. Okay, so that and, would obviously re- that re- that reflects the ingredients that are used. It's uh, it's sort of it's a paicha that uh, where the bunnies and the chickens become nervous. Is that right? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And and the uh, the snails too. Uh, and the snails. 
it's got snails in there as well. Oh, they um, can, they can't outrun you. That's kind of good. <laughs> no, they can't you. And the reason with the snails is uh, in, in, the, the, the rumor once again. I mean, everyone has a different view on this. Is that uh, the snails were picked from the on the rosemary bushes, so the snails are eating any rosemary. Mm. So when they when you cook the snails, they will impart a. Uh, rosemary flavour through the food. No, really? So the, so the page had a hint of rosemary through it, but you've got your rabbit, your chicken, your rosemary, some fresh be- green beans and dried beans in there as well. Beans? Mm. Really? I don't think I've ever had a paella with um, with beans in it. Well, that's what this is all about. You I got it. Well, I, I, I've got to get myself down to the Vic Market this afternoon because that's where it's all going to be happening. Absolutely. And the good thing about this is the winner of this competition will go to Spain. Yes, um, and also part of the uh, part of their responsibility for is to put their this product on their menu. So we're really trying to get restaurants around Australia to 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 to, use, to cook this product the way it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, so this is we're talking about these are the Australian championship then I guess this is the Australian. So this is Australia and Asian Pacific. So we've even got uh, we've got a team here from. Uh, Singapore, there was a Japanese team here. We've got some uh, from all around Australia mm. and uh, and New Zealand, I believe. We've got a New Zealand team here as well. Hey, bro. Are you <laughs> so, get some pay, yeah, you bro. Are you competing again, Lena? I'm not competing this year. I've earned my right to, to uh, compete in Spain. Yes. I'm hosting this, oh. this year. Oh, because you're, you're defending. You'd be defending the title. Uh, absolutely, yes. I suppose it's a great way of putting it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In the in the in the the saffron coloured corner, we have Lino. So, um, <coughs> to me, um, it's it's sort of like for a lot of Australians growing up, we sort of got to understand what uh, that you know Italian stirred rice dish is. You know, the one starting with yeah. R, um, yeah. and and it's all about the the stirring, and it's all about a type of rice. But for the Spanish. It's very, very important, the type of rice, and I'd like to have a quick chat about that. But it's pretty much you sort of set everything in place after a while and then you just leave it, don't you? Absolutely, yep. The, 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 the beta should not be... Uh, once the rice is added, you can you obviously can move it around, even it out, make sure that you've got rice in all, all corners or all parts of the pan. Mm. But once you start uh, simmering it, You've got to start leaving it alone. Stop what stirring. You're doing is you've got to start forming that crust on the bottom. Sukrat. Yes, sukrat. Perfect. Say, that, say that again. I said it wrong. I said it wrong. Sukrat. Sukrat, which is and that delicious, and it's just before it turns negrita, before it it, it burns <laughs> well, it's and. It's going to be too far. Don't yeah. It's going negrita is going to be too far. But what you're looking for is a, a beautiful sort of caramel colour there. You want it to just toast and, and have a nice uh, nice crust. You want it to sort of stick to the pan. But not burn, so that's the fine line there. You've just and, and it's and it is difficult to do because uh, you can't keep moving products to have a. No. Once you do that, it's like you break the seal. The, the liquid starts to, to, to creep under the uh, the crust, <gasps> and then you've done all right. you've done all that hard work that you've just created. Yeah, right. So okay. It's, it's a, it really is an art form to this, and uh, it's and it's that it's a tightrope, isn't it, Lena? This is and and this is what a lot of really great cooking is. It's it's navigating that tightrope, which is completely non forgiving, really, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Uh. And if that's not enough, all the rice uh, reacts differently. The different types of water from around the world is it very alkaline, heavy on minerals. It's, yeah. Uh, the altitude makes a difference to your boiling temperatures. The yeah. as well. Got so. that. But you've just—it uh, really does make it very difficult. And in Spain, when we do the competition, we're not exactly sure which 
variety of rice or which grower is going to give us the rice for that weekend. Whoa. And they all, they all, they are all different. They absorb different levels of, uh, of, li- of liquid. So it's a, diffi- it's a difficult game to play. And, uh, okay, so here's a man who's sort of been around and made uh, made some rice around the world. Uh, what's Melbourne water like for making making rice? Melbourne water's fine. I mean, it's the only water I really know, to be honest. Yeah. Um, so it, did did you amazing. notice it was different when you were competing in Spain, though? Look, I, not from Sweka, because uh, huh. they, they don't have bore water. But uh, in some places we've, uh, we've done events where we've had to use bore water. I have noticed there has been a noticeable difference with the uh, the consistency of the rice. The uh, the minerals tend to break down the the rice, so then you end up with a lot of broken rice, mm. which isn't the consistency you want. You want you want whole grains uh, with. Uh, Look, the Italians use this uh, terminology called al dente for their pasta. Yes, and the some Spanish and their rice too. Use, yeah, the Spanish would use a, a word called el punto, el which punto. means the rice is cooked and it just has this little centre the. That is just slightly solid, so it's just perfect. You know, it's not overcooked, it's not expanding too much, it hasn't split, it hasn't deteriorated. El punto. punto. I like this. You like the rice, I like the punto. Uh, And and this isn't something that you just, you know, um, uh, grab a little bit of, uh, I don't know, uh, sun long long grain rice to just chuck in there? Well... He said being provocative, use, uh, hopefully. You wouldn't use a long grain rice. <laughs> a page is traditionally a very short grain rice. Yes. Yeah, the varieties that they use is a bomba, a mirisba, or a calaspero. Those are the three main varieties of, uh, of rice. Mm. They are, in a sense, related to the, uh, the Arborea family, but they're a much smaller grain. They're little, little tiny round things, and um, yeah. I was um, when I went to pray at the uh, the uh, Spanish altar in uh, in Johnson Street. <laughs> the Johnson Street Festival, is that the one? No, no, I was thinking of um, the, uh, the the store, and of course now I'm trying to make a joke of it and I can't remember the name <laughs> of the store, which is frightening, but uh, Anna was uh, was there, and um, I was talking to her about making uh, paella, this is probably about 15 years ago, and she said to me, you get the bomba, because the beautiful yeah. thing about uh, the bomba rice is that you can't really overcook it. It's really It doesn't... It doesn't say, oh, you know... you can. You it, can still love it to it. Yeah, so but you have a variance. You've got a variance. forgiving. Forgiving is, an, is a nice word, you know. If yeah, you do, say, forgiving. with the, the Italian stirred rice dish, who we shall not name its name, um, but if you cook the aborio too much, it'll re- eventually just go to a mush. But the bomber, yeah. you've got a chance. Exactly. Mm. It's a little bit more forgiving, but, yeah, to a point. If you really overdo the uh, the, the liquid, uh, yeah, you don't stand a chance. It will it will deteriorate, and then uh, uh, by the time that liquid's evaporated, you you won't have that. The grains will, uh, will deteriorate it to a point where the, the, the consistency you want is it's similar to like a fried rice. You want to be able to scoop up that rice, and yep. the grains will crumble down. Um, if it's overcooked, they won't. You'll just get them all sticking together, and that's not what we're looking for when we're judging a good behaviour. Yeah, and I, I have to uh, to give thanks to uh, one of my great mates, uh, Joe Mungrel, who just went, Casa Iberica, you idiot. He didn't actually say you idiot, but yeah, oh, Casa Iberica. Yeah, yeah, yeah my God. Uh, yeah, that's the, the, that's the, the holy church of uh, Spanish food oh, down there in Johnson Street, of course. Absolutely. Paul down there does a magnificent job mm. with, uh, with all the Spanish and Portuguese products, yes. All right, now, just uh, so um, if we're going to do this, uh, if you are going to make a paella, you really need to invest in uh, the pan. Um, and they're not, but they're not expensive. It's not like the end of the world type thing, is it? 
No, not at all. No, pans are fairly inexpensive compared to some of the other ones out there. Yeah. You need a pan. You need that special pan because the, the, the fader pan is designed to be uh, wide and yep. low on the sides so that you're trying to create that evaporation. You want the rice, the water, the liquid to evaporate so that you're left with a nice cooked rice. If yep. the pan is too deep or you've got too, too much rice in there, which you're dreaming. You, you won't, you'll, you'll, you'll have other issues like uh, you won't be able to form the sukkah because it's just too much liquid contained yes. within the rice. Yeah. Um, and, uh, or you might have problems getting that evaporation fast enough and the rice will overcook. And, and the thing is just to get, it's pretty much just a cheap piece of stamped out metal that's been enameled. Um, I look for the, the black ones. We've sort of, it's got like a white fleck to it. I don't know if someone's come out with some super modern, you know, non-stick sort of... Pa- forget it. Just I've de- seen the non-stick ones, but then again, you, why? how are you going to form your sukkah? Yeah, well, you do. Tell, yeah. tell them they're dreaming, if I can just continue the castle analogies. All right, so um, could you please just give us an idea of what is happening at the Queen Victoria market? What time? I think it's about 3 o'clock okay. that the heat starts. At the moment, we've got the, all the competitors from around the, uh, the Asian Pacific cooking up their pages. A lot of them uh, are up to the point where they've, uh, they've done their browning of the... Uh, the chicken and the rabbit. Mm. Uh, they've, uh, they're adding uh, some of the, 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 the stock to it now. So they're, at that, they're sort of at the halfway mark. Do they bring their own stocks or, they, or do you provide the stock? No. No. no powdered stocks are used here. Basically, they're <laughs> building the stocks from the ingredients that they have. So they've got uh, two chickens mm. and two rabbits. They chop them up, they fry them off, they add water to that and start building stock there. Then the idea is to... Uh, uh, to build into it, so you, add, you keep adding, and you add your, some vegetables. You're adding your beans, then you're adding your uh, your rice further down the track, and your, your saffron and so forth. And, and, and so slowly, you're building up the, the flavors. But the, the flavors, oh, a lot of the flavor will come right from the very beginning. Yes. When you're frying off your chicken, you're frying off your rabbit, and you've you've got your garlic and your paprika and so forth in there. And at that point, you're starting to get those flavors to develop. And then you'll deglaze the pan with uh, some uh, freshly uh, grated tomato, mm. and that'll lift everything off the bottom of the pan. And then you start uh, you, you'll start uh, adding your, your your water to start your, building your stock. You know what I love about this sort of a dish? It's it's like a lot of <clears throat> you know Italian dishes. You start with a sofrito, you know. And, yeah. and, you, and you go from raw onion to cooked onion, you add the garlic, and, and you're just adding these layers, and it's, I don't know, it's, it's a bit zen. It's a bit like cooking can be at its best, that you, you lose yourself in this, in this circumference of steel cooking, cooking rice. It's marvellous, yeah. isn't it? Oh, and if you think about it, you could be virtually anywhere. Yeah. You light a fire, you place your pan on there, there's nothing else to worry about. Mm-hmm of tongs or a spoon or something and you just start adding to it, you add this, you add that add your, and, and you know what, then you just, it's all cooked in the pan, you straight onto your plate, there you go brilliant, I think it's one of the, the most creative ways of cooking and the most uh, delicious product you could, uh, you could ever imagine oh and god I love right. it, it's absolutely wonderful um, it's 12.28 here on 3 Triple R. We're going to have to leave you soon, but I thought maybe just a little bit of controversy. Um, I'll just come out and say it. Uh, chorizo. Yay? Nay? <laughs> Anathema or okay? As that place in the Bayer, um, you will find it in Bayer, and I'm, I'm guilty of it as well. But this is something that uh, over the years, as we've developed uh, the, our products for the restaurant, it's something that the Australian public wants. Yeah. We've, uh, they, they ask for it all the time. They expect it. I don't know where it started from, but it's, uh, it's something that they all expect to see in, in a Bayer. So we, we do something with, with some chorizo in there. 
and even the Spaniards that have come here that say that it's a sin have tried it and they love it. Okay. It hey, dish. This, this fried sausage tastes unreal because <laughs> exactly. it is good. Um, yeah. All right, well, look, but if you... it does have no place in the Bay, traditionally. Yeah, okay. Uh, uh, sorry, uh, just in the, in the last few seconds we've got, um, when are you um, due to, uh, to defend your title? September this year. Okay, so September. We'll so springtime... And we've got the hopefuls that are, will be crowned. There'll be uh, an Aussie uh, contender for the crown. Um, Lena, look, it sounds like it's going to be great there at Queen Victoria Market today. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Great speaking with you. Ah, absolutely. Thank you, mate. And uh, if anyone's free, come down. Yeah, well, yeah, that's, that's it. Lots of parking and uh, you don't have to pay for it today, which is uh, kind of a good thing. It's uh, 12.30 here on 3 RFM. We talked about uh, the nervous bunnies uh, and the chickens. Well, this is a song called Chicken Payback, and it goes something like this, doesn't it, Jed? It's market report time, and... Uh, and we've got a little bit more music for you, but we're just teasing. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, we've got Joe Toscano on the line. A very, very good afternoon to you, Joe. Good afternoon, guys. Now, um, you uh, being a super mum at the moment, you're talking not one football event, not two, but you're managing kids three footy games. Oh, actually, two two footy and one soccer. But oh, yeah, splitting play. hairs. Yeah, my daughter hurt a toe last night, so we uh, we withdrew from the soccer. So it was just two footy. Awesome! But, uh, oh, I didn't say it's that. Been a good start. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, I, I said awesome, but then I sort of pulled it back because it would sound like Schadenfreude or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> true, true. Right. Um, well, look, um, Joan. Thank you so much for taking the time to have a chat to us regarding well, what's going on in in what I think is is. Maybe some of my favourite... It's my favourite time of the year, really. Autumn's gorgeous for food, isn't it? Yeah, it's definitely my favourite as well. You too? Yeah, absolutely. Chestnuts, field mushrooms, quinces, new season citrus. It's all there. Have you had a uh, mandarin yet? Yes. And actually, these days... um, In the old days, we used to get the first mandarins were were, were Victorian. And they they make your face uh, squint. But these days we get the first lot from uh, Queensland and they're actually quite sweet, and, you know, straight up. And I used to hate, you know, when you peel a, a mandarin, you get, and it, it was, it's like Russian roulette almost because you'd, you'd peel it and you'd go, oh, this one's, you know, the dry mandarin? Yep. That's yep, awful, absolutely. isn't it? <laughs> absolutely. You just got to make sure that when you select them that they're not too firm. They can't be hard. They've got no. to have a little bit of give. Yeah, you got to give it a little squeeze. It's sort of like it's the it's almost the avocado squeeze, isn't it? Not too much because you're going to get the uh, the fruit and veg seller a little bit offside. You know, be <laughs> exactly. a bit respectful, but you know, use the radars in the fingers just to find out. And and that's one of the things when we do buy fruit and veg, we really have to use all our senses, don't we? When we when we assess it. Absolutely. Um, smell obviously comes into it and feel. But sometimes, you know what, you just need to talk to your, to your fruit or wherever you're buying them because sometimes both those things can fail you. Mm. And it might be just the region it comes from at that time, a certain time of year, that sort of thing. So it's always best to, to consult where you buy. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, one of the, the ones that I reckon very much when you use your sense of smell is um, strawberries. True, true. Turn that punnet upside down, look for the little holes and see if you can... Yeah. S- if it smells like a strawberry, you're on the right track, aren't you? Well, 
Absolutely, but there still can be strawberries that taste good that don't smell, but they are rare. Right? You're definitely right. It's a great indication. Mm. So, uh, Jed, you want to say something? I was just going to say, you, you added a, um, a dish to your repertoire. I added a fruit to my repertoire this week. Oh, which one? Fajoas. I, I knew you were going to say that. I'd never had them. And our neighbours have a tree that has been in for a few years and just started fruiting. And uh, they gave us one to try. And then, fortunately, there's a few over the fence. So a I don't few. have to lean too far. Treefuls of them for a lot of people. Yeah, but um, that smell, you know, there's, there's no smell on the outside. But uh, as soon as you cut them, it's just the fragrance sort of comes out at you. They're amazing. Joe, your thoughts on the uh, the fajoa? I think also yeah. known as a pineapple guava too. Eh? Yeah. Uh, well, they have a sort of a beautiful like fruit salad smell of all the fruits combined. Yes. But yeah, a lot of people make fajoa like chutneys and stuff with them as well as just eating them. And you know what? I reckon that's because there seems to be this great surplus of them because there's sort of. Either you love them or you hate them, I reckon. And uh, mm. I reckon there must be a lot left over that people go, well, we've got to do something with these things. Yeah, definitely. Also, like, so Fajoa's around at the moment, and I've got a persimmon treat, same thing. Oh, what soft sort? Wait, and soft. Is it the crunchy one or the soft one? The soft one. Ooh. Yeah. So they get ripe quickly, and it's a, you know, a fight between you and the birds. But I've got a friend, we swapped... Um, well, we, I don't normally give him um, persimmons, but this year he said he's got some fajoas for me. And then I ran into someone that had, when I was walking the dog, that had a big bag of pomegranates for me. Oh. Well, so you would have seen them around. Awesome. You seen them around the local tree. Yeah. And, and have you, it, it just, um, uh, pomegranates, is that something that is just in the last few years grown in popularity in a big way? Absolutely. It has, isn't it? Whole, yeah, the whole... Otolengi, um, I reckon. Right. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. Boom. Fact, yes, last night I was at a, it was a lunch that someone put on to raise money for Syria, and mm. everyone had to bring a Syrian-inspired dish, and about three or four of them uh, were one of Otolenghi's recipes and had pomegranates in them. But we're definitely, um, there's a, a massive demand. Now when they're out of season, um, you know, we have to get them from America, and, and um, we, we can't get enough. Yeah, there's a great but, gnashing of teeth. I, I think there's... There's a few things we can thank for that. One of those is also, I reckon, before Ottolenghi was the the Greg Maloof diaspora, which sort of in got us uh, restaurateurs and chefs into the palate of Middle Eastern cuisine. Yeah, I, I would agree, absolutely. Yum, and, and, which is great. What What do you do with uh, pomegranates? Just out of curiosity. Well, I just do them to to because they add such an excitement to both sweet and savoury food because you've got that sort of citrusy sort of edge, but then they can be sweet. Um, so yeah, to my salads, um, really good as a foil for rich dishes. In fact, uh, yep. on the Easter weekend, my sister-in-law um, was using up all the fruit that was left over in the in the in the, sal- in the fruit bowl. Mm. And there was a, a pomegranate there, and she's actually from Iranian background, so she knows her way around a pomegranate. Watching yeah. her deceive. A pomegranate. It's like it's. She's so graceful. I look like there's been a murder in the kitchen. But uh, anyway, she made this fruit salad: pomegranate, new season oranges, um, the last of the raspberries. Because uh, with the warmer, um, yes, or, the usual autumn, we've got raspberries continuing. And then um, put a splash of apérol. It was absolutely delicious. Oh, bang! There we go. Yeah. That's that's an inspired bit. Now. Um, so you said that uh, your um, your uh, workings of the pomegranate looks a bit like the Texas Chainsaw <laughs> Massacre. Um, <laughs> I've heard that if you cut it in half and whack it with the back of a wooden spoon, that's a good way to 
to do it. How did? But how did your Iranian friend dispatch or or right. deseed the uh, the pomegranate? Yeah, you can do it that way. The first way you mentioned, but some of them get stuck. What she does is she cuts the crown off and then she slices it in quarters, but only, like, but only yeah. just not the whole way through, just through the hard bit. So the, it, it's like you're going to do a preserved lemon type thing. Exactly, but you yeah. don't go through, and then yeah. she prizes it apart, and then gently um, just sort of. Like, hits the little quarters on the edge of the bowl, but then uses their fingers to prise them apart. I tend to do her method, but then do it in, like, with water so that the pith, if there's any pith left, that yeah. rises to the top and the pomegranates can uh, sink to the bottom and it and absorbs the mess of the juice that I've... So you don't look like this is, this is the, the massacre has taken place? That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, now, uh, the going back to the, sort of like the Julie Andrews thing, these are a few of my favourite things... Mm-hmm. Mushrooms. Have you had a have oh. you had a have you had a serve well, of pine right. mushrooms or slippery jacks yet? I've had both. Fabulous. I love this time of year. And mm. it's also great in in an era in an era where everything's so predictable and mm. we're going to fruit shops. It's great that they're so random. Yes. So I don't know. Like so, my one of my brothers does the buying of mushrooms, and he can't tell me he will get them on a certain day because they just no, don't know because they're mushrooms. They're get them. They, they exactly. mushrooms happen when they want to happen. You know. Well, that's right. Well, a lot of people don't know that, Ken. They think that they're all cultivated. Oh, for but, goodness um, sake. Yeah. <laughs> but um, they, uh, when they come in, I'm also going to be careful of that because you only get not that many that I don't sort of take take too many. But I just love simply um, sort of sautéing them both. Yes. Um, with a, just with a bit of butter and olive oil and just ha- having them really simply. Salt and pepper, if I'm really want to dress it up, I'll add a bit of that, um, some marinated goat's cheese just at the end and have it on toast or something like that. And may- maybe a little bit of resiny herb, like a thyme or a rosemary yeah, perhaps? A thyme. Thyme. Definitely. But often that marinated, that oil, it, it has the thyme in it it's, um, and that's just a simple way. Delicious. But you're with the point, I think a lot of people don't prepare them and don't peel them properly. Yes. And so they get a bit disappointed, especially with the slippery jacks. Yes. I find them best if you take out that spongy bit. Take that spongy stuff because it just... Yeah, it's not good. Yeah, I think people buy it. You can do it when they're really young, but when they're a bit bigger, not good. And people try them and they think, oh, you know, what was all the fuss about? These they are off. I, them properly. I put some butter in it, but that spongy layer just sucks it all up and it makes it just taste awful when you go, where'd the butter go? Yeah, <clears throat> and you feel true. doubly ripped off, don't you, Joe? That's exactly right. You do. Um, now, um, uh, because... Um, of your extensive shops and you know buying power, and you get stuff from all over the joint. I was wondering if maybe just in the just to conclude market for today, that we maybe have a chat just quickly about the aftermath of Cyclone Debbie and what that might do to prices. Mm. Well, we were lucky actually from a supply point of view that the cyclone hit when it did because before mm. the Queensland season had well and truly got going. Because it occurred at the short season, so this, we're, we're winding up getting our legumes, our capsicums, tomatoes, that sort of thing, uh, locally, and we're, we're looking to Queensland. But mm. because of our warmer than usual autumn, that our local stuff sort of continued a bit, so, so we've been a little bit insulated. Um, and prices have gone up a bit. Tomatoes have gone up a lot, but that was also because we also get our tomatoes out of South Australia. And do you remember those floods last year? Mm-hmm. They in South Australia, so I lost a lot there as well. But what um, my sources tell me is that that things are back to normal around Bowen now. Like, and like they lost the first couple of plantings, but the next lot have been great. So we're looking for price rises about five to six weeks and then things will return to normal. Because these things grow pretty quickly, it's not like bananas. 
um, it shouldn't be too bad. And um, and we certainly dodged the bullet with bananas because one of the main growing areas is uh, Tully, Innisfail, which was to the north of where Debbie sort of hit. So that's a bit that's of a exactly right. praise Jesus moment on uh, here on Sunday. Um, Joe, uh, are we at the what? Are we? Are you at a game at the moment? No, I've just left. Just left one. I'm oh, great. Car. Well, I've got to say, you are awesome to uh, take our call and just uh, and give us your advice for what's going on this time of year. Thank you so much. That's been a pleasure. Yeah, it's been a pleasure to have a chat. Have a great okay. day. You too. 12.45 here on 3RRFM. It's, uh, it's good beer week. It's coming up. Mira Bellini is, uh, is waiting. He's got it. He's ready to go. Uh, but before we do that, uh, Jed's got some stuff to do. It's time to drink. We're thinking about the drinking, and we're thinking about drinking in the future because, ladies and gentlemen, good beer week is upon us. Mira Bellini, a very, very good afternoon to you. So lovely to see you coming in the studio today. Well, it's lovely to be back. I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, Team Eat It, and you guys always make me feel so welcome. Oh, you're, you're too kind. We, um, we tried to offer you a cup of coffee, but you went across the road to, to do that. But uh, we're not here to talk about coffee. We're here to talk about uh, the great brews that are true. How long has Good Beer Week been going for now? Well, this will be our seventh year of a fe- as, a, as a festival, yeah. Whoa. Yeah, and and time flies. Even more impressive number, if I could sound like a businessman for a moment, is five hundred percent growth as a festival over seven years. So, like three hundred ish events and two hundred venues are involved. And the the first year we had forty. Wow! Yeah, wow! That is even yeah. You guys really hit the ground running because I think when the good food and wine festival started, which is now I think twenty five years old, they had only twelve events. So you sort of eclipse that, but. What astoundingly good timing you had, and maybe you know the whole thing was was driven by the change in the beer industry that we have seen. Well, yeah, well, we definitely can't claim to be architects of the total growth of beer and the interest that Australians have for beer. No, you are mirrors, and you reflect this interest. Maybe <laughs> would be the um, mirror or the mirror. <laughs> Well, it's it's amazing, and I think we're, we're very also very lucky um, to be in Melbourne, um, yeah. at um, a city where uh, the restaurants and cocktail bars and <laughs> pubs have a real um, standard to meet. The Prague of the South, as we like to call it, the cultured <laughs> capital. I mean, you know, seriously, it's it's a bit flippant, but it's it's kind of true in that we're willing to embrace new things and try new things. Yeah, I think that. Well, that's that's kind of the theme of this year. Is is we're mm. calling it the choose your own adventure, yes. and and um, you know we're all at various stages of our uh, um, exploring our palates, and you know more people want to meet the maker. Uh, they want to hear about the history of recipes, and they want to see where innovation is going. And that's across all food. And I see beer as food. Yes, and and so we're all on these little bottle um, of sandwiches, as some people call it. A bottle of sandwiches. <laughs> yes, that's food. <laughs> it's part of the food group. Yeah, of yeah, course. I'm sorry, but beer is yeah. Go on. But that 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 whole adventure that all of us are going on, you know, we're finding fajoas and we're learning new Japanese dishes and we're hearing mm. about what someone's doing with a, a new spice in an old German recipe and 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 this festival is like beer is just the vehicle. We get to see yeah. all these venues that are that are being so creative and and in Melbourne we really love that. Yes. Yeah. And I guess. In a way, we've sort of we, we've witnessed all of this, and I, and I was going to say that just to go back on that genesis, 
obviously, and we spoke about this last year because mm. I'm just remembering, we talked about Brooklyn and, you know, the uh, Brooklyn beer as being one of the first... Uh, havens for craft beer and here in Australia um, we have to thank Cam and Dave from Mountain Goat for of course putting our patron saints our patron saints we should have like little <laughs> medallions that we have in our car dashboards be kind of nice patron saints of beer Cam and Dave um, but no they were the ones that here in this country started this whole thing of, of having beer and I'll say it, beer for taste rather than beer for what tribe or what sort of parochial statement you wanted to make. Yeah, I think that was coalescing across a few industries, it seems. I mean, mm. around the same time Cam and Dave were getting um, Mountain Goat going, that um, bakeries were really pushing boundaries in Australia and, yeah, and changing. Right. I, I, that, that's what yeah, I yeah. was experiencing. And, yes. and over that time, you know, Australians have really started to care about what olive oil they have. And I don't know. The, 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 yeah. I, I feel like it's, it's more than just um, certain individuals in each industry. The Australian public has got more and more interested over that time. But it's people like Cam and Dave or, or the guys over at Little Creatures within a couple of years of yes. Mountain Goat um, yeah. that have really kind of when someone stakes a claim in an industry and says I'm going to I'm going to push forward. Yes, um, um, we can think of cheese too, can't we? Yeah, of course. Cheese. You, 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 we kind of need these people that um, are happy to make something that the majority is a bit uncomfortable with, but might really enjoy. Yes. Yeah. In, in, in the long term, and uh, and now we here we are, uh, 2017. Um, Jed was finding some facts and figures for us. Did you want to talk about um, what was it? What do we have? In 2015-16, what was it, 400 million that was, was spent on, on craft beer and uh, the fact that yeah. even though it seems that beer production in itself is going down, we're drinking more quality beers more so than ever. It was uh, what, 9%, I think, of there the... Um, 81,000. Yeah, yeah. And I think it represented 9% of the um, the market was craft beer. So when you when you think that mm. uh, a lot of these breweries are not producing huge quantities nope. for that them collectively to be 10% of the market, that that's a fair impact in... Yeah. I've got a lot of ideas about what you're talking about, and I think it's really important for mm. the health of Australia is is that people are choosing to... Uh, well, a lot of Australians are choosing not to drink at all. Mm-hmm. A lot of new Australians are uh, coming from a culture of big drinking. Mm-hmm. And um, so this concept of wanting to wake up on Saturday and still go for a jog yep. or mow the lawn means that I'm going to have less pints on Friday night and yeah. make them better. Yes. And spending two, three, even four more dollars on your pint... But when you're not having ten and you're having two, so, it's cheaper and nicer. So they're drinking for and, enjoyment and, and, and taste rather yeah. than just and, to get and softer in your hands in the morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, and, yeah. It's, and, it's and your hair, you know. But as you're saying, though, um, I think yeah. that the three things that are driving value in booze overall in Australia are red wine, whiskey, and craft beer, and they're growing in value. Not in so much as it. Well, the volume is, but that, that's what's building yes. building our beer, uh, in, uh, booze industry right now. Yeah. Yes, mm. and uh, I could make jokes about Duncan Buchanan still trying to sell Riesling, but I won't. <laughs> that'd be unfair. Sorry, Duncan, if you're listening, he might be listening. Yeah, he might be. Um, so, uh, give us an overview. So, are we um, uh, good beer week happens within the city. Oh no, no, across the state no. of Victoria. 
no, look, look out. Oh, wow. Yeah. So zoom out. So those um, the, from the twelfth of May um, to the twenty first. Um, mm. um, yeah, there's a huge density of events in the city, and Melbourne's in the north. Yes, uh, maybe eighty percent of our events could be uh, spread across there. Um, but then you know, uh, the south of the river, uh, Melbourne's west is a real sort of um, a, a buzz right now. And mm. then we go out all the way out to to Bridge Road and and Bright and all all, all around. Mm. Um, uh, sorry, when I say Bridge Road, I mean out in Beechworth. Yeah, you're or, not, or, not. Bridge Road, Richmond. Or well, there's some great events there too. Yeah, but. Not, not there's anything wrong with Bridge Road, Richmond, but uh, we're we're going out from three one two one postcode sort of yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, Bright, what's happening up in Bright? Um, I I should have looked up that event before I mentioned it. There is it. an event up in Bright. <laughs> the great thing is that oh, may maybe oh, there'll still be sort of leaves on the trees, but you'll be able to have some chestnuts with with your beer, perhaps. Have you got? Um, I, I want you to sort of bring out some of your favourite children, if you like, to yeah. just just um, show them off to us and. Well, Tell this, us how well they've done. Um, well, the, the, the Pine of Origin program, where yes. uh, different pubs will dedicate themselves to different parts of the world, yes. has been a real signature of our festival. And um, so it's a really um, simple, uh, I suppose, really cheap and cheerful way to get involved. Yes. It really costs you the price of a pint. Um, well, like that. Yeah, well, say let's go down to like the, the Royston in Richmond, just near Bridge Road. We just mentioned yes. all of their taps will be turned over to beers from Western Australia, and any day of the week you'll find brewers hanging out at that pub. Really, and you can just uh, G'day, mate. get yourself this a pint, good. Yeah. and then uh, odds are you'll be sitting next to either a brewer from that brewery or a brewer who knows the brewer from that brewery and you can just sit at the bar and talk to that brewer I mean Carwin Cellars in Northcote is about the, the USA and in fact um, the catfish in um, uh, on on Gertrude Street has, yes. has focused on um, <clears throat> this is a new thing for the festival our good beer mates and we're focusing on Oregon uh, down at the catfish and the Oregon's um, biggest per capita I think or second biggest per capita state in America for craft beer really it's like Melbourne with cafes wow and so they're going to turn over all their taps. We've got several breweries coming in from Oregon. We've got a special um, uh, uh, cocktail expert who makes all sorts of beers. Uh, sorry, cocktails with beers. No. Uh, yeah, and he'll be doing things at the uh, with the Black Pearl. Uh, they'll be doing events at Le Bon Ton and really celebrating, I suppose, the weird and wonderful flavors of beer and how they can, how a, a, I suppose an artisan uh, cocktail maker can can really make them sing. The Oregon people are coming here to blow your minds. Yeah. It's crazy with, uh, with with some good stuff. That sounds incredible. Yeah. And um, and of course, one of the great revelations I've had in the last few years, and we t- talked about this at length last year, mm. um, was the fact that beer and food mm. is yeah. so good. And I'm just wondering if there are any um, any dinners that are happening. Like I think I had it was lucky enough to have a, a dinner at Marycote. Oh, you've got <laughs> tickets to that, hey? Uh, I, 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 <laughs> it sells I, out very quick. I lucked in. Yeah, I yeah, really, yeah. really lucked in. But are there any going to be in... Obviously, there's going to be some great beer dinners as well. Yeah, well, just, just running on that American theme, I've got one right in front of me Here's here. Here's one we've got. Yeah. I, I, well, with, with 300 events, I have to sort of uh, uh, narrow it down before I come in. Have, but, some, um, have some, uh, some ticket notes to let you know where to go. Yeah, well, yep. so um, the event, oh, uh, just off the top of my list here with uh, Portlandia, uh, down at Le Bon Ton, um, uh, their claim is they're going to try and get a bit weird with their pairings and um, nice. they've got their uh, their cocktail guru Jacob Greer um, and a few of the other brewers from Portland. We've got Deschutes and Commons and Breakside Brewing all in town and they'll be pairing uh, their f- their beers and beer cocktails with all the, the sort of weird and wonderful well, well the big smoky roasty big flavours down at Le Bonton's Kitchen. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god that sounds fantastic and uh, 
the sort of if there was a, a gig, sort of like the secret fabulous gig. Have you, have you got a favourite sort of a um, gig that you would like to tell people about? Oh, um, it's hard to just get it down to one, isn't it? I think I think that um, the most fun you can have is taking a friend along to something mm. that that they're going to enjoy yes. and rather than taking them to your favourite thing. So mm. I think that of the 300 events in Melbourne, you know, in Victoria during that week, I think that the best thing to do is to ask your friend what their favourite thing is about uh, food culture, wine culture, beer culture, and then you just type that into our little search engine yeah. and you find – if they love burgers, then we've got like 15 different burger things going on. If they love wine or glassware, my favourite thing to do is to surprise a friend. Mm. Yeah. And maybe get them out of their comfort zone a little bit. Definitely. Which is um, is kind of a great thing because the wonderful thing about beer is you've got this equation that is sort of derived from the bittering agents of hops and mm. the sort of mouth-filling sugars of maltose and the permutations that you get from that are quite extraordinary, aren't they? Mm. Mm. You know, and, and then we've got, you know, notions of acid, you know, you say it, it's just, it's in, it is such... A kaleidoscope of flavour out there. It is. And it's funny you mention acid. They say that um, sour is the new bitter. Yeah, sour is the new bitter this year, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Or well, actually, maybe the last couple of years it seems to have, yeah, have come through. Yeah, it's been creeping in. Uh, and, and, mm. and that's a wonderful part of that food and beer pairing that you're talking about. That Acidity yes. is, is a wonderful and important part of many dishes. And if your beer can, beer can bring that acidity to the table, then you're winning. Oh, it's a world of discovery. So if people want to find out about this, obviously you just go to goodbeerweekoneword.com. Um, you will see an extensive thing. It starts from Friday the 12th of May, concludes on the Sunday, 21st of May. You're going to be in a, a tired little boy after all that, I would imagine. Yeah, I, there's a lot of coffee consumed during Good Beer Week. Right. <laughs> and a lot, of, a lot of good food. Um, Jed, you wanted to... We need to do something. We've got a giveaway, don't we? We, we do have a giveaway. We've got the so, other side of uh, that sort of beer spectrum. It's cider. It is. And uh, we've got some prizes to give away. Uh, do you want to do it, Chad? Um, yeah, we've got a double pass to Kellybrook Cider Festival 2017. It's uh, for either Saturday the 6th or Sunday the 7th of May, so about two weeks away. Uh, the name will be on the guest list. There's lots of people ringing. Celebrate uh, the end of the apple harvest at Australia's premier independent cider festival. And there's the most amazing oak tree that you can just hang underneath. And I've got to actually say I recommend this event because you have the happiest bunch of people that are there. It is, it's one of the best crowds I've seen in Victoria. But, Miro, mm. hey, it's going to be a great beer week uh, coming up. So, again, it's starting on the 12th of May. You're getting yourself organised for it. Yeah, yeah, get rolling the kegs, polishing the glasses. Getting a special bottle openers going. It's been an absolute <laughs> pleasure to have you Thank on. Thank you so much for having um, me. And we might have to uh, catch up with you during beer week to see how it's all going. But we better get out of here. It is one o'clock. Tracy Hutchison is on the air with, uh, with lunch and uh, she's going to be in deep conversation with the wonderful diva, incredible person that is, Rebecca Barnard. Stay tuned. Hey, and Jed, thanks a lot. My pleasure. See you later, Mira. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.